0: What's up? It's Tommy Green. You're listening to the Rev Talks podcast, brought to you by the Rev Gatherings, a digital tribe of up-and-comers, emerging leaders, doing our best to keep in step as the face of the church changes in our generation. If this is your first time checking out the podcast, welcome home. If you are a returning visitor, hiya. feel free to subscribe, share it around, give us a five-star review. Tell Somebody, if you like what you hear, please let us know. You can reach out to us at the Feel free to email us at the Rev Gatherings at gmail.com. Hope you enjoy the episode. See you on the other side. Super excited for you guys to hear and meet my friend, Pastor. <laughs> J.D. He uh, he loves being called Pastor J.D. Layman, so I'm um, gonna call him that a lot. So uh, I had this conversation um, with him in uh, I think February or March of this year, it was kind of right at the beginning of uh, Corona Camp, um, kind of talking about life, his 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 journey, some of his experiences um, as a faith leader at uh, Greater Chicago Church in Oak Park, which is. Uh, <sighs> Just a dope little community in the Chicago area. Um, he's just an incredible guy. He's been a good friend of me and Chrissy Greens for a long time, and uh, love the way that his mind works. Love the way that he breaks stuff down. And you'll probably hear him in the future as well on the podcast, just because he's a friend. So, uh, without further ado, um, Pastor JD Layman. JD, what's up, bro? You're all- welcome to the Rev Talks podcast. How are you? Hi. I'm good,
1: man. Thanks for having me, Tommy.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay. So we just you just asked, like, do we know what we're talking about? The answer is no, not usually. So um I feel like some of the people in our community know who you are, but there's gonna be people that probably hear this that don't necessarily know they don't know you and they don't necessarily know your background. So I'd love it if you could tell everyone just kind of like who you are, where you are, and why you're kind of doing what you're doing.
1: Yeah, sure. I um I grew up as a PK, and uh, my parents had a pretty uh, radical conversion story, and uh, because of that conversion, they started a church. That church wound up being um, a little local church on the campus of the University of Illinois. Um, They merged with the Vineyard Christian Fellowship denomination out of Anaheim, uh, led by John Wimber, uh, back in like the early 80s, and so transition all the way forward i'm a product of toronto i i learned all about these things and i realized that i wanted nothing to do with religion mm. and um just you know everybody has a word of knowledge for the pastor's kid and everybody told me i was going to be a pastor someday and i ran as far as i could i wound up in the commodities markets and for 18 and a half years i was a commodities trader i traded um, I traded tons of stuff from stocks to, uh, bonds, to bond options, to futures, to crazy stuff. And I kept feeling this tug on the back of my neck, like, Hey, you know, at some point you're coming back to, I don't like the term ministry, but for lack of a better term, it was, that's what it really was. It was ministry. And so, um, I, uh, I was on spring break in uh, 2017, and uh, the senior leader of our church turned to us and said, Hey, we're done, and would like to give you guys the church. And so it was at that moment that I became a, a, a pastor. Um, we'd been running a campus, it, you know, we'd been in church leadership. It wasn't as if I had gone away from church leadership, but I wasn't pursuing it as a vocation. And then mm-hmm. suddenly um, I was there. And so now I am running a church on the west side of Chicago, about nine miles from uh, Lake Michigan, just outside of Chicago proper in Oak Park. My wife and I co-lead it. We've been doing that since uh, July of 17. And um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of other messy details in between now, then, before, and I'm sure the future is messy as well. But um, I'm really excited about what God has done and called me to do. And we feel compelled to go after a young generation of people that aren't churched and want to figure out uh, the relevance of why we are Christians.
0: Mm. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, um, for people that are, I, w- I was hanging out with a friend and he was on tour in a band and I, I kind of met up with him It'd been a little while since I'd seen, I'd seen him and he asked me what I was up to. And I told him kind of, I'd stepped away from, kind of normal pastor preaching ministry at that point. And, um, he looked at me and said, man, what is God doing? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, he's like calling people out of ministry. So on the other side of this, like there's probably going to be people, especially in the next like five to seven years that they thought their professional life was like one thing. And then whether it's just a personal transformative thing or it's a little like it's a it's a repositioning. Talk about what it felt like for you to go from like you're on the trading floor of Ferris Bueller's Day off yelling and screaming and then and making probably really good money. And there's a sense of security or control in that to kind of the local church life of like you've let go of a whole lot. So what were some of the biggest things that what were some of the hardest parts of transitioning from? the marketplace into ministry at at an age where you have a family and marriage and a lot of those responsibilities, because that's probably going to go, it's probably going to go both ways. People are going to come out of ministry and find some new lane. And some people are going to take their spots because God's doing something. So what, what were some of the biggest transitions you and Carrie had to go through when you like jumped? Like,
1: well, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's scary, right? Um, (laughs) i've got five kids you can see a slightly dated picture here behind me of (laughs) uh, my wife and our our five kids Um, everybody that can't see the video right now it's a really beautiful like it's like a beach shot and they're
0: like kind of arranged by height their kids are all beautiful they're they're smiling
1: they have tanned legs like it's definitely summer it's it's nice it's a good shot yeah we're all little toe heads so um (laughs) it was you know it's one of those moments where um are you going to walk out under the water, you mm-hmm. know, or are you going to take the step? Uh, I think it's really interesting that Jesus never says that you won't suffer. He simply says, I'll be there with you. Yeah. And uh, there's a big difference in that. We, we oftentimes want to have this situation where everything's going to be, uh, it's going to be smooth, glassy water. We're going to step out and it's going to be, you know, like the, the little pads are going to pop up and we're just going to walk in a straight line. And it takes faith. Um and some of that was scary and some of that was risky. I think some of the hardest things, um, I, I probably would have stayed trading.
0: Um,
1: mm. And I don't think that was an option for me. I think the the reality of my business, we wound up losing about a million dollars, um, my trading company did, um, over about a 20-month period. Um, Holy smokes. And so in that process, I, you know, we we refinanced our house. I sold all my life policies. Um, I liquidated every asset I had and, um, we still have some debt from that, which is just the reality. Um, and yet God has been faithful at every turn. And, um, there has to be, you know, I played football in college at a small division three school and, we made t-shirts. And one of the t-shirts was Christ never said it'd be easy. He only said it'd be worth it. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of where I've rested my, my call. Like, look, it's not going to be easy financially. Um, and yet my marriage is the healthiest it's ever been. My kids are the happiest they've ever been. I've seen dramatic, like improvement in my son's behavior this year. Like my daughters, um, came yeah. through some really interesting, tough situations in their lives, and it's magnificent would it still have happened if i was trading probably god is faithful Mm -hmm. and do i have a a different context for it now absolutely and totally and that's what that's what it means to be that's what it means to be sold out like Mm -hmm. do you really sell out do you really give it all Uh, look money's a tool at the end of the day you're going to have some, you're going to lose some, you're going to make some, you're going to make bad investments. You're going to get that extra Starbucks, you know, whatever it is, you're going to, money's going to come and go. Relationships matter. And, um, you know, even, even investing my own personal finances to hang out with people like you, uh, once a year in LA, like that's a, that's a commitment, but it's something that feeds my soul for a year. And that's the value. And so can I, can I lay aside all those other things to pursue what the kingdom is? Um, so yeah, it's scary, absolutely. But I'm sure even leaving the rock world has to be something similar to that, right? Like mm. at some point, at yeah, some I mean, point, we all made a decision that there was something more valuable. You know, we found the thing hidden in the field, and we sold everything and went bought the field. So that's a weird story, by the way. It sounds like theft, but it's not.
0: <laughs> so. I, I think I, I like, I mean, I just, I agree with you. I know, I know a lot of your, the, at least the last like few years, I've, I've just because of our friendship, I've had the, I've had the ability to like hear some of this in, in some ways. So w- let, let me ask you this question. Cause this is probably be kind of fun, but um so you're in your school, you're coming up under your family. Like you had former mentors, like how, how about this? Like the fact that we're in the midst of if the polls are correct, that we're in the middle of like 40% of churches either crashing or changing pulpit. Like they're going to, there's a dramatic shift in leadership that's either happening already or is going to happen. Talk about what it was like to be a son and then become kind of like the father and what people that are going to go through a transition like that, what should they expect in the community in your experience?
1: Yeah. First I had a great, I still, my father's still alive. My natural father's alive. Totally. Um, he, he started the church because I came around and, um, I got to watch and, and be mentored and tutored under him. He was my role model still is wow. really respect the apostolic calling on his life. I'm not a big 5 guy, but, um, I understand that there are callings that are placed upon our life and he has worked his out to the max. Yeah. Um, I think that since the year 2000, I think the Pew Research or Barnum or one of the two that does a bunch of the church stuff—they both do—but I don't remember who cited this. Somewhere between 85 and 90 million people have um, changed and walked away from church. Yeah, and the old guard understands that in order to be relevant again, they have to lay down their positions and they have to let young voices step in and fill those spaces. And it, it takes it takes a, a brazen level of maturity and humility to be able to lay down your pulpit or your ministry or whatever it is in order to make way for the next generation to come through. Now, we talk about this idea that my ceiling is my kids' floor; that they will jump off the ceiling that I put that I put up. Yeah, and um, I'm not trying to hold people under my lid, I'm actually trying to put them on top of my lid to give them a platform. Yeah. I think that I think I was given that opportunity in a lot of ways. I was uh, left with an established church with pretty good giving and um, people who wanted to serve alongside of me. But my job was to recraft, rebrand the message to make it relevant to a generation of, of people like you and I who I'm just, we're not going to just take what was handed to us and accept it. There's a new, there's a, you know, I want to stay away from words like deconstruction, even though they have their value, but there's a, there's a subset of individuals in church who are no longer willing to accept this rigid box that they feel like Christ was painted. in. we did a really good job in the seventies, eighties and nineties of painting these beautiful rigid boxes that held Christ. And yet I've encountered something that's so much bigger. And so now I look to my mentors, and my mentors are the type of people who had those boxes, and yeah. were really happy with those boxes, and so good at it. So and for the most part, they they really still like those boxes. Yeah. And and um, and yet they've had the humility to say, okay, it's time to do something now. It's time to do something new with our lives. And so, in order for the church to continue, this is what has to be built, um, and that means that. There's a new wave of how to do things. We have to redefine words like discipleship and evangelism and supernatural. Like All these things have to be redefined, and they have to be relevant for who we're talking to. Um, servant evangelism and handing out water bottles was a great thing in the 90s. Today, there's a whole bunch of organizations that hand out water bottles that have nothing to do with faith. Yeah. So why are we doing it? So why can we, can we be relevant again? And so that's been the challenge. That's been the, the, the grind on my heart. How do I make myself relevant? Graham Cook, who is a prophet out of uh, the Vacaville area in California, he's got some brilliant stuff. Uh, I look up his websites. Um, but he said, over a, a meal once, he looked at me and he said, you know, if your church disappeared tomorrow, would your community notice? And it, it dawned on me, it was like, no, we just serve ourselves. Of course it wouldn't notice. And so he said, you know, your challenge is to be relevant to your community, not just to, your to the congregation. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. That's where I'm pushing. That's where I'm, uh, and my mentors set me up for that. Yeah. Uh, maybe you heard this in high school too, that you were being trained to do a job that doesn't currently exist. Yeah, sure. And by the time you graduate, that job will exist. And that's funny, you know, I I graduate with guys who are now app programmers and nobody had a smartphone when I was in in college, nobody had a smartphone. And yet these guys are are building these apps. I think that my mentors trained me and equipped me to be able to handle a theological messy suit that I'm in right now with so many different pieces. I think I was perfectly set up. I think God knew in, in advance like, hey, I've got to establish this. So I'm going to use the mentors to get you established. And and there you go. So that's kind of where I ended up. And I think there's, man, there's great value on both sides of that. Um, Mm -hmm. the humility piece to step away and the commitment to push forward. So, yeah. yeah.
0: There's like a whole lot of discontent and there can be a whole lot of like kind of outrage and You know, infighting and it's very easy to become um, drunk on our own judgment when we look at the maybe inadequacies of the church or church culture or something like that. I just was having a conversation with like a really dear friend and he was talking about how he's just in this like he's in the liminal space of like, I'm in the hallway and I don't know if I even want to walk through any of these doors And I'm not necessarily listening to like a lot of faith stuff right now. And so the only thing that seems to pop up is stuff that continually affirms how over it I feel. And I think there's a lot of people that in that place, they can become like hypercritical of the fact that we're talking about a bunch of people doing their best to like work it out behind all of those people doing their best to work it out is Jesus. And so for you, high school, college, making, you know, big moves, um life of significance, finance, family. Who was Jesus then and who is Jesus to you now? How has that kind of changed?
1: Uh you know what Jesus Jesus back then was the sky god who I would pray to when I needed something. <laughs> and sky, it was, it's like what's up, Sky Daddy? Please yeah, right. call me. What's up, sky god. Hey, I need a game where I get like six tackles because that would make me feel really good, Sky God hey, I really need this girl to say yes when I ask her out, you know? It's like, it, it was, <laughs> you know, the the baby boomers, okay, boomer, the boomer generation yeah. called it foxhole Christians, right? Because yeah. in their world, it was this, oh yeah, when, when my daddy was in the trench, he yelled, save me Jesus, and he got through the war, and so that's why we're Christians, you know? Like, everybody's got their turn. Yeah. Um, but God was this, omniscient omnipresent thing that judged me a lot and Mm -hmm. um got mad every time i looked at porn and got really upset every time that i took a date just a little too far and you know uh wasn't really approving of his first miracle when i did it in in my life as an 18 year old kid drinking beer you know it's like yeah it was sky god um And I walked away from that sky God as a teenager and and found it again in college. But it was interesting because when I re-found God, it was this realization that it couldn't be the same God that was my parents' God. I I couldn't draft off of their religious experience. Their story was their story, it wasn't mine. And so God became this person who wanted a relationship with me but didn't talk very much. And, um, I went through a period of my life where I just journaled, um, I journal my prayers with a pen and I would write them out. And it was almost like a dialogue between God and I, it didn't help my behavior. It, it, it didn't, it wasn't a behavior modification tactic. Now I find God to be this vast, infinite,
0: mm-hmm.
1: divine presence that I can't escape that when I sit down at my kitchen table, the cardinals show up in my tree out front and it's like, Oh, Holy Spirit's right here. Or, or I'm walking into our church, which has a big stained glass window in the front. And, uh, I see the alpha and the omega, you know, I see the I see Jesus and this this angel that are there um, in the stained glass. And it's like I have this, this moment where I'm at total peace. And mm-hmm. God has become so much more infinite. It's not about you're married, you have a beautiful wife, you have a great family. I'm sure that when you and Chrissy sit across from each other at a table, you can have a whole conversation without using words. Totally. I think that's where my relationship with Christ has finally gotten, that mm-hmm. I can sit down and I can have this this piece to know that whatever needs to be said will be said and whatever emotion or rawness or hatred i mean within the last three years i've laid on the floor and cuss got out and it's been amazing because it's not as if he didn't know what those words were totally and, and you know you can use frick and you can say shut the front door you can do whatever you want it's it, as if you're gonna if you're trying to fool the almighty god you know it's like, <laughs> oh yeah the heck with you! It's like, dang it! It's like, what? It, as if God doesn't know what you're trying to say and just be Christianese about it. It's like God gave you your emotions for a reason. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, we, we're in Mark as a teaching series right now, and it's that part where Jesus yeah. is coming in on Palm Sunday, and it's it's the other part in the scriptures where it talks about Jesus crying. It's, Jesus wept as he came in to Jerusalem. And we so often want Jesus to be exactly what the disciples had. Yeah, Which was this idea of the warrior god who's coming in with sword and it's going to be legit because we're going to overthrow the Romans and he's weeping as he's coming into the city saying, "You guys missed it, man. I'm here for peace. I'm here for yeah. the establishment of a kingdom that will never be taken from you." So, yeah. uh, my God has really shifted, you know, from from where I was as a kid to, and I think part of it's just maturity you go through your cycle and,
0: yeah. um, you,
1: you know, I'm teaching on, sorry, I'm teaching on deconstruction in a couple of weeks, um, just because it's relevant to who we are as people. And one of my friends and I were talking, we got to this point point said, who was the first deconstructionist? Like who, who, who deconstructed first? And the answer was the disciples. Mm. And you think about it, like these guys were hell bent on, I mean, even in the garden, Peter's strapping to his thigh, right? He's still, yeah. got, he's still got this sword. And here they are for three years. Jesus deconstructs everything they thought about the Messiah. He's yeah. like, oh, man, my version was just too small. And yeah, um, yeah I, I really love people who are in that broken spot. People who are in that liminal space. Um, you don't want to stay in the liminal space. Uh, you ultimately need to get through it, but there's you have to weep and you have to mourn and you have to cry while you're in the liminal space. Yeah, because in the liminal space, those tears will water the seeds that are the trees you sit under as you get through the next door. Yeah, and that's you have, real. You that's really have to take video. time. Yeah. I so
0: think, yeah, that that's encouraging. So I think for people that are listening that literally feel like they're they're not like. They, they really are like, I'm over so much of this, but I swear there's still this deep seat of faith and I'm trying to figure it out. So I think for you, just that encouragement of like, you don't want to stay there. You have to get, you're actually going to get through it kind of whether you like it or not. But the point is to be really what, like honest, you think vulnerable, like what's the most important when you're suffering the loss of what you thought he was, it was, what are some little pointers you could say, Hey, while you're there, while you're down there, like, please just know what well, it's okay.
1: Um, yeah, you're going to make it through. Um, we bumped into, uh, Kobe Bryant's passing a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And, um, I was, I wasn't a Laker fan. I'm not a Laker fan. I, I'm a Chicago kid born and raised Jordan. Um, but Kobe was, a, was an icon and to see the grief that's been poured out, you know, globally. And it's interesting. It's like, I went back and I did some, some research on grief, and it's this idea that we don't allow ourselves, especially as Americans, to grieve. Mm-hmm. Grief is, is a taboo word. And only when someone big of, of grand stature passes away does grief become socially acceptable. And what we end up doing as a society is we, hump, we, we put all of our grief onto this, onto Kobe's passing. Wow. And, and really what we're doing is we are crying we we are we are in tears over things that were from before yeah. um, We never grieved that we never took the time to care about and to actually like do something about and so my encouragement is like mourn for the for the religion that you're that you're leaving do by all means do not deconstruct do not go to the liminal space if it's working it's not for the cool kids it's because it happened to you yeah. You don't get to choose this thing, but if it does happen to you, take great heart. There's a lot of us out here. Yeah. And I'm more in love with Christ th- today. I'm more in love with scripture today. Yeah. This is this is what it means to be a believer. So yeah. Wow. Hmm. That process is messy. <laughs> but messy, you know. Great cooks have people who come behind them in the kitchen just to clean up the mess. Yeah. Like, it, it, don't fear messiness just for the sake of, I don't want to crack eggs. It, yeah. That's not what we're talking about. But but you also have to take time to understand that, yeah, you're going to have to cry a little bit. You're going to have to mourn for the things that were and get excited for the things that are to come. Mm. Yeah,
0: it's really good.
1: I think the vineyard as a movement as a church i think their biggest contribution is this line here but not yet and um i see it all throughout scripture and i don't like it It, um in fact there's a lot of things i don't like in scripture and uh you're gonna have to reconcile some of those things on your own but that here but not yet is this idea that like i am in love with the kingdom of god but it's not fully realized and i've lost people to cancer And my best friend lost his son. And um, like, these are bad, bad things. And yet, it's not that God is here to be sky God and take away all your problems. It's that he's going to be the suffering servant. He's going to ride in on a donkey and he's going to sit with you in the mess. Um, He's going to help you clean up the mess. He doesn't say he's going to take away the mess. And so um, just in the deconstruction process, I think that's super important just to have as a concept um it's here but not yet it's it's realized but not totally and it's, yeah man that's a tough realization
0: yeah right now not yet here we are not quite yeah it's happening sort of <laughs> like it's yeah. all, it's all the same
1: yeah it's real i think it's that's also you know the people who are in that that liminal space are very logical and pragmatic and so they discount everything that's going on uh, they or they rationalize it away. And it's only until you get to the other side that you're able to look back and you come in with Psalm 23, 6, that goodness and mercy followed you all the days of your life, that you couldn't get away from the goodness and mercy. It was haunting you. Yeah. And in the moment, you pragmatically dismiss it to, well, that's my neighbor, my neighbor did that, that's why that happened and this is that. Yeah. You know, I got a promotion because God... It's not because God loves me, but because I'm just really gifted at work. Yeah. We rationalize it all the way. And on the other side, in the moment, rationalize it. But take a look back. Yeah. I hate that verse because, right, it's goodness and mercy will follow you. It doesn't say it'll lead the way. Yeah. Because it'll follow you. And it's only in hindsight that you can actually look back and see. Turn around and go. Oh.
0: That's right. right. There you were. Wow. So... I think that's powerful, Jay. That's, so then um, tell me a little bit about Greater Church Chicago, right? Like your your neighborhood church, like, you know, so sick going out and seeing you, seeing the community, walking down your alley to get to your church. It's like wild to me because it's still like neighborhood. That's so cool. That doesn't happen for many people. So that's really cool. Talk a little bit about what you see in terms of like church building, and church community. Like, because I feel like there's a lot that's on the table. There's a lot of people in flux, like cer- certain structures don't seem to work for people right now. So talk about that a little bit. Like, yeah. how dependent are you on the building? How dependent should people be kind of in, in community? For people that are looking for it and they're like, I don't care. I just want people to care about me. I don't care. Or people that are like, I'm not going to church right now. Like, talk a little bit about what does the building mean to you? When so much is sort of shifting around you,
1: um, the physical building of church is kind of a waste, in my opinion. So, <laughs> um, I mean, hey, let, you know, let's be candid here. Yeah, that, that building doesn't serve any purpose on a nine-to-five day. Now, every night it's booked. We we do trainings or we do teachings or we host things. Again, mostly to serve our community of believers. So, yeah. You know, if it was up to me, there's one hotel in my village. uh, We're one of these villages that's kind of hoity-toity and super liberal, super progressive. And we have one hotel. Mm -hmm. I'd love to buy it. I'd love to buy the block. And I'd love to have a church meeting in there on Sundays at a time that's acceptable to use the ballroom. And I'd love to make transitional housing. And I'd love to be able to help young trafficked women find a place. Come on, talk about it. Come you know, on. It, it's like, what, what can we do with a building? And, yeah. and yet that's not my reality. Cause nobody wants to buy my church, um, on paper, it's worth a lot of money. And if I had to sell it, it would probably, I'd maybe get a third of what I have into it. And yeah. it's gorgeous. Built in 1924, uh, stained glass, uh, built in a Lutheran style. Like it's stunning. It's, dope. It. It's, it's, dope. It's, it's, it's worthless at, at the end of the day. <laughs> And, um, it's only worth what some architectural firm will pay for it at some point. Yeah, And how are you going to splice this thing into three, even condos and, and parse it back out? Gosh, like, man. Yeah. Uh, and so stuff like that is, is challenging. And how do you build a community? Um, we are in a super liberal community. Um, I would, um, I, I don't know a community, I don't know what Salt Lake is like just from a, um, uh, from a political leanings, but let's put it this way. There's probably not a Trump supporter that I could hit a golf ball to from my back deck. And I live in in an urban environment. Like we have alleys, we walk down the alley to my church, like yeah. it's dense. There are 58,000 people shoved in a four mile by two mile rectangle called Oak Park. Yeah. And, um,
0: and you don't have like a, there's no MAGA hat in, range of no, their, no, within no there's 400 not. yards there's no one yeah no. i think well that's true i mean i feel like yeah chicago that's like how it's been for a while i think that's right salt and, lake and, is uh they say it's like a blue dot in like a red state but okay. so, it's yeah, very so, like but
1: it's super divided in that way so but i don't you know i say that so yeah. that i can preface like a a not a liberal agenda but a there's a liberal openness to spirituality that we've encountered here that that spirituality means something, mm-hmm. um, but Jesus is a taboo word because Jesus is about empire and Jesus is about uh, Trump and Jesus is yeah. about and it's it's you know when our kids parent or our kids friends parents talk to us they're like oh you guys run a church you're like well, how do you deal with the Trump issue like how do you deal with everybody voting for Trump and well, first of all my my church is pretty blue so. Yeah, probably don't have to deal with it nearly as much as you think. But um, their can their perception of who we are is really different than who we really are. And our job is to actually show people who we are. Hey, we're 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 here because we we love Jesus. We're here because we're followers of the way. We're here because we love helping people who are in need and distress. And this is this is what it means to be a kingdom servant. Um, yeah and so when it snows you know who fires up the snowblower this guy yeah This guy goes around four blocks and snow blows it and i'm not looking for kudos i'm doing it because i'm here to serve my neighbors yeah yeah <laughs> you know it, and the church owns a monster of a snowblower, event this thing is amazing heated hand grips. Sure. i mean sure um, killing the but, game but building community is really tough in oak park because nobody wants to be a jesus follower but they're really open to spirituality and so Um, Our dream interpretation days, our destiny nights, our prophetic nights that we don't call prophetic, but we we call them something else, attract a vast number of people that just are curious. Yeah. Yeah. We want to know. They want to be like, they want to be touched by God
0: in some way. And they don't
1: know, they don't have the language for it. And yet my God is so kind and so infinite. and so amazing that my God, she never fails to show up and Uh it's okay. Yeah. That's powerful, man. Okay. So um, tell
0: me a little bit about, I think, it, well, how about this? I'll do this as we kind of bring it in for a landing. Um, is Carrie, your your beautiful beloved wife, is she in the same chapter as you?
1: No, no one's in the same so chapter. So talk,
0: talk about deeply connected, amazing partnership, kids, family, Totally in two different spots spiritually. How do people support each other when literally, like one part, like I got friends, one party is in like full on; they are renovating the whole house, and the other party is like so pumped to be in the church on Sunday, and and that's a tension. Like they can feel it. What would be some recommendations for how do you and Carrie like communicate? How do you tend to work through that? What's most important as you're in one spot and she's in another about God, which is like such a big
1: deal. Yeah, it's hard. You have to seek to to understand not to be understood. If both parties come into it to be understood, you're going to bump heads constantly. You got to come in to understand the other person. Mm. Um, In all honesty, I did my first two and a half years. I've been in this process you know, I was in the process of ripping it all down since about 2015. And so, um, I did the first two and a half years in private. I didn't tell anybody. Um, I was ashamed of it. I was scared of it. Wow. Um, it, it was something that was radically new. I didn't know anybody else who was doing this. Yeah. And, um, yeah. When it all kind of bubbled over, it started to all make sense to me. And all the pieces started to realign. And, um, you know, there's that classic scene from The Matrix where he sees The Matrix for the first time. And it's just those characters of green yeah, characters yeah, yeah. screen. He's like, can you see the woman in the red dress? And I used to think that was a, an analogy to trading because I would look at trading screens all day and I would see things that no one else could see. And yet I think it's an analogy of all life. And I think it's religion. I think it's your relationship with your spouse. Like you can look at this thing from the outside and you have no idea what this thing is. And yet the more intimate you, the more time you spend together, um, it really it, like it pays huge dividends. And so as I was going through my process and she started hers, my my job was to be really kind in the resources that I helped her find. Um, here's the thing. I've compiled a list of about 150 pieces of literature or podcasts or something else out there to help people along their way. If you did them in chronological order, that's great. But some people are going to come in at stage one. Some are going to come in at stage three. Some are going to come in at stage minus two and a half. Yeah. And you've got to know how to help these people along. And so part of my job was to be a great husband and to, and to understand where she was. Yeah. And she was gracious enough to understand who I was. Um, and we were in the midst of rebuilding our marriage and really working on who we were. So there was some real intentional communication going on. Um, and you gotta have a ton of grace for yourself, man. Yeah. I know you've run like you're a good runner. Like you gotta have grace for the days when, when it doesn't work, dude, when you go out there and the plan is to do 10, and you get to six, and your body says, nope, I'm done. <laughs> and, and, you're done walking, today. and you're walking the last four. And it's like, yeah. you can either live in shame. Oh, I didn't complete it. Or you can say, okay, how do I need to do this better? Like, how, yeah, can that- I, how can I learn from this? And it's like, oh, like, we could either sit there and bump heads with each other, or we could turn to each other and be like, hey, like, God, like, how can we do this better? Like, yeah. you're not going to understand my point. And there's some really cool resources out there. And I'm, I'm happy to pass some of those. Yeah, yeah. Along so, you, and you and I have dialogued about some of those, totally. but you just got to know the stage you're in. And eventually we won't all get to the same stage. That's the funny yeah. thing. We're not all going to get to the same stage. Um, and that's okay because we're not all called to be at the same stage, man. I could never, I could never be a screamer, punk rocker guy. I just couldn't my seventh grade music teacher told me I sounded like a frog with a country Western accent. I was (laughs) like, I've never, I've never sung in public after that, but you know, (laughs) awesome. awesome. we all have our our processes and and just encourage anybody who's in the middle of it, especially when you and your spouse aren't quite on the same page, find, find people, find people that are good people that will stand beside you both. and seek to understand man don't try and be understood especially if you're the one who's already ahead and you're trying to pull somebody up and it just takes time there's no easy way around it it just takes time
0: so then okay so do this then so two things so first off where can people find you if they're like man that was really intriguing and i want to know some of the stuff that he read that fried his noodle or helped him put the train back on the tracks where can people find you jd
1: yeah, so you can find me on Facebook. Um, I'm running out of friends, so you can hop on there. I'll make some room. <laughs> drop me a note. Um, you can find me on Instagram. Um, both of those are are just my name, JD Layman, L E M A N. Uh, you can find me at Greater Chicago Church. Um, that's one word, and you can find our podcast there. Um, love to connect with you there. And I have a I have a podcast that. Cardinal is Truth, just, come on, yeah. talk about it, talk it, about it. Yeah, it's in season two. It's called The Cardinal Truth. Um, we had a little health scare in the last uh, few weeks. And so I've had to not edit some of the stuff and haven't put anything up for a couple of weeks. But I've got another about 20 more episodes to put up for season two. There's there's about four up right now, but uh, we'll get back to those next week. Hopefully have those um, up and running. But there's a, a season before Uh, season season one has 17 episodes to kind of talk about this and Mm. um, season two is is underway so So um, yeah you can find me a bunch of places and if you're ever in Chicago and you want to stop in for a Sunday with authentic vulnerable transparent worship and teaching uh, where we act like a community and we go after it we really believe what we say um just love for you to stop by Chicago and stop by Oak Park. We are literally 15 minutes from downtown and I'm 30 minutes from both airports. You can hit me on the way to your airport and we'd love to have you for a Sunday. It's true. And I'm a coffee nut. So if you ever want to have a coffee.
0: Yes. Um, it's true. Get coffee with JD. It's great. Um, so then here's my in closing, like this is what we've just, I've just been doing. So any of the Rev Kids or anyone who's got a heart in your direction <clears throat> as they hear you talk. What's something we can be maybe praying for or believing for, for you in this next year?
1: I'm not comfortable having a zero impact in my community. Okay. I'm just, I'm just not comfortable with it. And so there are things that can only happen when you have X number of bodies. And so we need to grow and that it's not a, it's not a, This is not, I need to get a raise. Um, This is not, I'm looking to better things in my church. There are things that can only be accomplished when there are a massive number of people all pushing in the same direction. And if you're going to create societal change, we need to grow. And, um, you know, I'd love to see 500 people on a Sunday and force us into multi-services. Yeah. I believe... But I don't believe that people are coming to our church for the long haul. I think they're coming in to be powered up, filled up, sent out, back to wherever they're supposed to go. Um, This isn't about, this is about creating a long-term disciple who has had a short-term stay in Chicago and has left forever changed.
0: Okay. So we're praying for the greater Chicago church, praying for massive impact, we're praying for people that are there for the short term to get everything they possibly can but we're also praying for like long-term community and in real city that's and-
1: our discipleship model it's our discipleship model and our evangelism model if you come here for 18 months you should be able to be discipled and when you go out you should be an evangelist for what god has done in chicago through through us and through mm-hmm. through our church and anybody who's you know any of your friends who are like hey i'm in chicago what should i do on a sunday you know, I would expect you to say, hey, stop yeah, my voter, carry. Yeah,
0: that, yeah I, I will, I do. Um, okay, well, I'm gonna pray for you real quick and then I will let you go. But Thanks, man. yeah, I love you a ton. Thank you. And let's have more conversations, but I just, let's do it. this one's awesome. So Father, I just thank you so much for um, JD and Carrie. God, I thank you for Chicago. Um, I thank you for the Greater Chicago Church and its community. Thank you for Oak Park, Illinois. Um, thank you for all the people and neighborhoods and neighbors that make up That amazing American metro that is Chicago, Illinois. Um, God, I I pray for massive impact and I pray that you'd actually add and add and add and add to the community as it can sort of support um, one another, that it would be full of love and full of hope and full of encouragement and people would become more like you, Jesus, in a real way and more like themselves in a real way and be able to share stories together, and so I just I ask for your blessing and your favor on um, on JD and his journey as a as a son, as a father, as a man, as a leader, um, pastor. You know all this stuff he loves being called Pastor JD so much, and so that's what I'm going to call him right now. Is I pray for blessing over Pastor JD, but um, Lord, I just thank you for my friend, and I I I really do pray that you would actually um, speak to him in a powerful way especially in the next like couple months. Um, and that there, there'd actually be like, uh, things outside of his wheelhouse that would impact his neighborhood and impact the region, um, down the line, I just different things. Like I feel like thank you for taking him outside of the boxes that he's never been Like he's not comfortable in anymore. And so thank you for the changes. Um, I pray amazing romance and connection between him and Carrie. I, I really pray that their relationship would go to like new places in their, um, and their intimacy, and their laughter, and in their adventures together, um, and just just bless them, God, bless them real good. And thank you so much for my friend. Um, amen. Okay, you're the bomb.
1: Love you. Only Tommy. Only Tommy prays your love life on your way out.
0: <laughs> love it. It's the best. Um, okay, so I love you a lot. Thank
1: you for being on the podcast. And yeah, uh, thanks to the Rev crew. Yeah. I'm looking forward to coming out to Salt Lake one of these days. Come on, man. I think next October, you and I talked about this. I'm putting it on the podcast so you can't get away from it.
0: I'll do it. I'm in, man. So, (laughs) all right. Come out to Salt Lake. Rev Crew, we love you. See you later. Awesome. See you, dude. (sighs) Hey you guys Tommy Green here just want to say thank you again for listening to this episode of the Rev Talks podcast our hope with each and every episode is that it would encourage you maybe give you a reason to have a laugh expand your capacity on the inside to love and empathy appreciation hopefully make your world just a little bit bigger and uh, give you faith hope for the future. If you like what you heard, again, please share, subscribe, give us a good rating, give us some good feedback. Over all of this, thank you so much for taking us with you uh, in a small part of your day, on the drive, on on the run, you know, just as you're going about your day. Thank you so much for sharing uh, some time of your life with us on this podcast. Um, To connect with us, you can email us again at therevgatherings.com, and we will see you on the next episode. Love you guys. Bye. Uh, just a quick sort of uh, promotion or commercial. Um, th- a lot of you guys know that Chrissy and I have a high commitment um, to the struggle and the fight to end uh, human trafficking in our generation. Um, many of you guys know that we are the directors of a nonprofit called Run Against Traffic. And um, if you have any interest at all in joining the fight with us, if you are a runner or a walker or someone that cares about uh, seeing the survivors, Um, of human trafficking restored seeing their lives put back together again after you know whatever circumstances and situations have brought them through this like terrible journey of force or fraud or coercion um, at the hands of human trafficking uh, we would just encourage you to visit um, irunagainsttraffic.com join the team run with us we do a monthly digital run on the 15th of every month Uh, pick up some gear uh, join a local running club and share the fight Um, A lot of people don't exactly know how to get involved with such a big problem. But we just want to invite you guys to become part of um, the uh, Run Against Traffic community. Um, Share this with a running friend. Tell them about it. But visit irunagainsttraffic.com to become part of our team today. Join us in the fight to not just end human trafficking, but um, recover and restore the victims of human trafficking in our generation. Appreciate you guys. Thanks.